I like that flavor. That's a good flavor. We're firing it up, though. Oh, boy. It is Practical Shooting After Dark. Welcome, gentlemen. We're here to talk about shooting. On deck tonight, we have Mr. Park. Hello. And Professor Kim. Hello. The Korean brothers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, you guys know the deal. Everybody comes here with a topic, something to talk about. And I think we should open up talking about the uh, rule change made for uh, for popper calibration. What do you say? Well, it Sounds is good. a hot topic right now, I think. Yes, there's a few people talking about it. Um, so essentially what has been changed, if you hadn't heard, uh, the the, uh, the ruling or whatever that Trey came up with, is essentially they're just going to do popper calibration twice. So they kind of do it. If you call for calibration, they come and calibrate it as normal, and then they reset it and calibrate it again. And I guess you, you after you lose twice, now you're, now you're toast. I thought it should have been best like five out of seven. That's what I was pushing for, five or, or seven. Or even seven out of nine, just to make sure you really, <laughs> <laughs> really give the competitor a fair shot. Uh, this was so funny. Uh, what I've heard is they've been working on this change since May. So uh, after the production national situation, which was a JJV popper, popper came out on top, you know, and uh, that was obviously drew, uh, drew some attention to it. So Troy was working on it. I think he has, does he have two assistants now? I think so. I think that was I what I guess they were working in shifts on this problem. And this is what they came up with was just this. So there's a problem with this process. So Troy's like, oh, I'm going to fix it. And what he came up with is, all right, we're going to do the process twice. That's what we're going to do. Then we fix it. And um, well, in a functional organization, I guess he would have left the room without a job if that's what he came up with. But in USPSA, they uh, they voted almost unanimously to approve this. They had one dissenting vote, which was Hopkins. Oh. Um, I have to assume that he thinks this is as stupid as we do. Um, yeah. So the good thing is we got some board members talking about this. Uh, Area 4 director came out and said, uh, the biggest change is to popper calibration. Is it perfect? Maybe not. Is it a chance to help competitors get the correct call? Absolutely. So here... Like when he puts that stuff on the internet, that's it's like he understands the problem with popper calibration. It's kind of a crapshoot, right? The correct quote unquote thing doesn't always happen. Doesn't even usually happen. And kind of and everybody knows it. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. uh he understands that the that this like that's the situation, it's a crapshoot, and he understands that this doesn't fix it. Yet he voted for it anyway. So what are you gonna do? So anyway, that's the popper calibration news. Uh, any any other comments, guys? So in my in my opinion, so Area Four Director definitely um, mentioned the good effectiveness of this new uh, rule because it, it's gonna benefit the shooter. Yes. Yes, it might benefit the shooter. At it might benefit yes. some points. Uh, but another thing that has to be discussed is. Uh, I personally think, especially in the U.S., the match flow is not as flow fluent, uh, meaning that definitely 10 stages in other IPSC, for example. I mean, the 3-2-1 system, the small course, medium course, affect, of course. But another thing that I, I see all the time in outside of the U.S. is the match flow is very well. The equipments are ran very well. Uh, and I haven't noticed that much of a calibration challenge when I was shooting outside the U.S. So in terms of this rule is definitely going to make the uh, calibration process longer than before. 
And typically in the US, like I said, it's more common to see calibration challenges, scoring challenges, which really uh, slows things down and making the 10 stage shoot into a whole day shoot rather than a half day format like a lot of the IPSC matches see. So in terms of that, I think the the, the real um, problem right now is the preventative action, meaning uh, after like a squad goes through, like especially major match, arrows, maybe they have time to uh, kind of check the the poppers and maybe perhaps calibrate or maybe like a, you know, knocking down with your middle finger type of a rule of thumb calibration check kind of thing. The, those preventative measures will reduce the amount of calibration challenge and also the match flow. I think those preventative measure has to be prioritized in order to prevent it rather than trying to make shooter happy and make the process really long and make people wait and get a traffic jam. Yeah, Jim hit the nail on the head as usual. Uh, it wasn't anything like to pat ourselves on the back that Ben and I did, but like I was thinking at the Wisconsin section match, I remember one of the ROs calling us over and saying, hey, this isn't a problem right now, but this is going to be a problem at some point. And he had an issue on, with an activator that he wanted to address the way it was like situated stake down. And that was really good. It wasn't even a problem at the time. He was just concerned it could be a problem. And so we addressed it immediately. And I think being attentive to the stage that you're on and the steel is would be fundamentally making a big change. Yeah. Other than just hiding behind a rule. <laughs> well, all right, let's move on. Uh, Joel, what do you have to talk about? Something informative? Of course, naturally. Well, maybe not. Um, well, I've been actually watching a lot of documentaries or movies lately about just champions how they train, how driven they are, what motivates them. Um, I find it extremely interesting and just enjoyable, honestly. Uh, example of some of my recent favorites, Rush was fantastic. I remember Professor came and stayed mm -hmm. with me. I was like, recent, Kim. that was 2014, dude. All right. Well, that was a movie I stumbled across like a year ago. Okay. Anyway, like Kim came, I was like, hey, Kim, you got to watch this movie. What, Ford v. Ferrari? Uh, I watched The Last Dance, that Michael Jordan series on Netflix. I don't know how old that is. I just stumbled across it. Obviously, I have no interest in basketball. I'm obviously not athletic, uh, but I binge watched it in a couple of days and I thought it was super interesting because it was just like, what makes these guys tick? What drives them? You know, like I'm watching, there's like one game where uh, Michael Jordan's playing and his feet are like bleeding in his shoes and stuff. He can't wait to get these shoes off. You know, like, so these guys are like getting tore up or mentally exhausted or he's playing the entire game with just very a very minimum amount of time to rest. And he's like, or one game he's super sick. And he looks like he's about to die. And then <laughs> once, like, then once they blow the whistle, he's ready to shred. So anyway, I just find that super interesting, like seeing what makes champions tick and, uh, you know, what motivates them, so to speak. That's it. The end. Maybe not that interesting. No, I mean, good. We should. Uh, I'll have to check it out because I'm getting a signal here in in the room that. Uh, that I should watch the Michael Jordan thing, so. Oh, you have not seen those yet. No, I have not, so I'll have to yeah. check that out. All right, moving yeah. on, Mr. Kim. Mm -hmm. Tell me so, something good, man. Yes, I want to, as usual, <laughs> I want to tell people weird stuff that make, makes you Superman. So, uh, 
especially people who's on the northwest travel to major match, uh, likelihood of having a jet lag is uh, very high. So like sleeping and then waking up in the morning and then uh, waking yourself up in the morning. Uh, it has been really challenging for me, especially this year. I had pretty bad sleep apnea. So I coffee wasn't waking me up in the morning to that point. So I started doing a little bit of research. Uh, I tried Hopkins's energy drink one time and I, I was feeling like shaky and all that, even though that was waking me up. Yeah, that'll so, get you jacked up. <laughs> yeah, it was taking me up way too much. So I started looking at the, the nutrition list on the energy drink. And then I, I looked at a couple things. And one thing that popped me was ginseng. Because when I was growing up in Korea, uh, my mom made me eat ginseng sometimes, once in a while. And then I started researching about ginseng. And I started taking them uh, to wake myself up. It was really helping me to wake me up and give a little bit of energy boost. So like this is very easy to get. Like the one I'm holding in the video right now, it's just a simple stick. It's a liquid form. Uh, you can get it from Amazon or I saw it in Costco too. So uh, I would recommend people who having a hard time waking up in the morning, try it. And also what I found is ginseng can help your blood sugar level to be more steady. So what I also noticed is when I take ginseng after a big meal, it really helps me to reduce the uh, food coma. So that was really helpful this year to keep my brain uh, stay functional after waking up in the morning or after like four or five, six hours sleep or even after a big meal. So this is something that if you have a problem, if you don't have a problem, you don't need to worry about it. Don't don't need to spend money on it. But if you have like falling asleep problem and also at the match after like three hours of shooting, your kind of brain kind of shuts down for whatever reasons. Ginseng could be a option that you might want to try. But hey, Kim, but also you are battling some sleep issues. That's the real problem here, right? That's the real problem. Yeah. Yes. Like I have a sleep apnea and sleep paralysis and stuff, so I'm not getting enough sleep and not a quality sleep either. That's one thing to throw at. Yeah. Well, there's a reason people like drugs, Kim. They work. So I hope the ginseng <laughs> works out for you. <laughs> All right, guys. Man, this is going to be a fast podcast. Let's move it right along into a question. Hello, Mr. Steger and the rest of the podcast panel. Do you think production is a viable division to compete in anymore? I started taking this sport, this sport serious this past year, and I like the division, but with little to no competition in it, I'm thinking about jumping ship and shooting CO or limited. Love to hear the panel discuss this one. I'm not sure guys, how much of a discussion this really is. If you if you catch my drift. Uh, I think what they choose to do with production nationals next year will probably have a lot to do with the future of the division, being honest. Is that fair? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot less guys in it than there used to be. Mm -hmm. It's kind of regional or whatever. You know, how many guys show up in it. Internationally, production's very strong, but uh, in the U.S., it's... Uh, yeah, there's not a lot going on anymore. <laughs> so, yeah, I wouldn't blame you for shooting something else. But this may be a little bit different, depends on when the Nationals happening. Because the trend I saw this year was because uh, production is early in the year and carry optics in the later in the year, which 2020 was combined. Uh, yeah. So I think a lot of people actually moved 
to CEO from production because they can just pop on on their ready optic model gun, whatever. Yeah, and then they can shoot another nationals. Yes, I think that's one of the reasons why, uh, like for example, Area Four, I didn't see many of a production shooters, and a lot of the production shooters were shooting carry optics with their production gun with the optic gun. So if the ha uh, if the nationals combined production and CEO nationals happens again. I think the story may be a little bit different, but still, I think Probably. a lot of people already moved into carry-offs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anything to add to that, Mr. Park? Uh, people talk about like, oh, maybe production 15 will like save it or whatever. Honestly, stage design is part of the problem. Probably to say the thing that most people wouldn't want to hear. If you can like, I, production is my favorite, but I understand if you, like I've been on stages where you go to a spot and the play is, you just shoot your gun dry to slide yeah, 16 lock, rounds in one, and then you, one yeah, then you do a yeah. standing load, and that like that's the play, man, to win the division. That's the. Did play. you shoot any matches this year where production did didn't get hosed? Uh, I've shot a couple of stages <laughs> off and on that were just honestly just stupid. It was just uh. like, well, like the person that the person that designed this this stage probably shoots high cap, and so they just don't think the way a low cap shooter thinks, and you know. People say like, oh, well, you have options. It's like, yeah, well, you could see all these targets from three different spots, but it'd really yeah. be dumb as opposed to just go to one spot that has the cluster of all the targets and then just shoot left to right and do slide lock loads when you have to. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. uh... so if, if stage design was changed up a bit and it was more dynamic shooting where you just don't go to one spot and shoot clumps of targets, uh, I think that would go a long way because I think some people are frustrated with like shooting low cap. I mean, single stack included, and they just don't want to, you know, it's. It's less fun. I the stages are not built for low cap. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like I, I, I remember more than one match I went to this year where there was more than 10 rounds required from not from one position. I don't mean available. I mean, literally required. Like you're shooting 12 rounds without moving your feet. And it's like, well, this isn't a whole lot of fun shooting production, but here we go. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I think fixing stage design would go a long way towards, I mean, the low cap divisions as a whole. Being yeah. more fun to shoot. Yeah, and another thing is uh, like as a trend of stage designs nowadays, uh, there's common to see like eight, 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 or places where you can like shoot eight and then shoot a couple more targets on the move. So that's only viable for high cap because if you shot eight and then shoot two, three more targets on the move to another position, if you're a production shooter, you are up to reloading anyways. So you don't see much of a shooting on the move for low cap shooters nowadays. That's another issue. So I guess 15 rounds can open a little bit more options and make more fun out of them for production. Yeah, oh, I mean, this sure. is pretty much the kind of things people are talking about is, is production dead and what about production 15? Mm -hmm. For all these reasons that you guys have brought up. Yeah. That's, I mean, I hear people talking about it. Well, it's a good spot to leave it, gentlemen. Thank you so much for coming on tonight. Well, thanks for having me. And Thank listeners, you. if you have a question you'd like the answer to, go to bensticker.com, send us your question. We'd love to hear from you.